welcome back to episode 102 of Podcast Royal. We're going to try doing weekly episodes again and keeping them a bit shorter, although Jessica just said five seconds ago offline that we have managed to give ourselves a long episode, even though the Royals are not giving us much news, but um, we're going to try to keep them a bit shorter than what we were doing when we were doing them every other week. So let's see how this goes. And I am on the road again. I am in Nashville right now. And how are you? Doing great. I am powering through these almost 100 degree days over mm. here. Um, so, you know, finding creative ways to stay cool, uh, but, but all good staying busy for sure. I, I hear you. So right. We've got a lot to cover today, so we're going to hop right into it, but right off the top, I want to say very happy birthday to the hardest working Royal. That's not just me saying that numbers back that up. Princess Anne, she is 73 years old today. We're recording this on Tuesday, like we always do August 15th. So happy birthday, Princess Anne and Jessica, I wanted to thank you for turning me on to the T-Talks podcast. So we talked about, um, Derek and Eric, or, you know, Derek, I guess, on the show last week. And so I was like, you know, and, and you know, as, as we were recording the show, I went and subscribed to the show. So mm-hmm. I started listening to it. I, I listened to it my whole drive up to Nashville. And the, the podcast, of course, is called Tea Talks with the Duchess and Sarah. You've been talking about this show for months at this point. I've been meaning to listen. Didn't subscribe to the show again, literally until we were recording last week's episode. You brought up the anecdote about Derek. I started listening the day after and the show is a delight. Like I texted you and I was like, thank you so much for tea talks. And I binged all 10 of them in like a day. And so I second your recommendation and definitely recommend this to all of our listeners. It is of course co-hosted by Sarah Ferguson, Duchess of York. So there's our Royal connection. It's a lot of fun. Well, I'm glad you love it. And you're right. It is a really fun listen. And I did want to point out, you, you mentioned it a second ago, but you were right about Eric, apparently. I don't know how I missed that, but Fergie's best friend, Derek, has a partner named Eric. Are you not going to so, say, are you not going to say boob again this week? <laughs> Two weeks in a row, boob. Well, listeners, you guys can go, you know, check that out. But uh, yeah, I thought that was funny. So I just wanted to make that correction. <laughs> well, I, and I heard that when I listened to it and I was like, I know I did not make that up in my head because I hadn't listened to the show before I said that. I know I'd read that somewhere because I never would have made that up in my head. But before we get into it, we have a new segment today. We have lots of stuff going on randomly, even though the Royals aren't giving us much news content. They're on vacation. But before we get into it, I want to read a listener email from Ellen. And we love getting these emails. Again, hello, podcastroyal at gmail.com. And if we love the email, we might just read it on air. So, okay, this is from Ellen. Gosh, ladies, my thanks are long overdue for your delightful, diverse, and insightful news and commentary on all things royal. You have become such treasured companions as I walk, that's sweet, as I walk by dog in the many beautiful city parks and beaches along Lake Michigan. Ellen is from Chicago. The British Royal family really has no bearing on my real life and that's the attraction i applaud you for providing such cultural and historic context to contemporary royal doings there are other podcasts that offer a more gossipy take on things but i thank you for not going there well we go there sometimes ellen but we try to keep it factual okay so the whole reason ellen emailed us was about diana's second wedding dress that was the subject line of the email but Now she gets into it. So she says, now that elusive dress, my theory is that a prominent and wealthy bride claimed the prize dress and was sworn to secrecy by the Emmanuels. Oh my gosh. Like that is a great theory, but that dress I would never wear. I mean, again, it was a different time in the eighties. 
she back to her it is out there somewhere i would love to see oh this is a good idea i would love to see a reward offered for (laughs) it's that serious everybody for information leading to its recovery there must be some aristocratic woman out there who married in the 80s and knows full well the provenance of her poofy gown she can keep it (laughs) just let us see it amen (laughs) ellen (laughs) perhaps her dress brought her i'm sorry that's funny perhaps her dress brought her better luck than the version for sweet delusional lady die sweet delusional lady die indeed maybe this other their dress brought a bride lots and lots of love and a happy family life wouldn't it make a wonderful hallmark movie actually it would ellen you, you maybe you should write that sigh rest in peace diana anyway thank you for your excellent podcast i love the beatrice profile and q a keep it coming well ellen that was a great email so thank you and um you know only us royal fans would be like we need a reward for this second wedding dress that no one ever saw on diana never even wore it so that was that was awesome thank you for listening Yeah. And we did, you know, we mentioned last time, I think I said, we know it's out there somewhere. Somewhere it is. They're just keeping it a secret. Yeah. I mean, there's, again, there is a 0% chance that someone was like, yeah, I think I'm just going to toss this basic replica of the most famous wedding dress of the decade, possibly the century. I'm just going to throw this in the garbage there. Somebody has it. So um, I have like a spare $5 that I can offer up for the reward for the missing dress. So whoever has it, if you want a free meal tonight, tell us and I'll, I'll Venmo you five bucks. Well, maybe <laughs> that's, one day. That's about all I got for you though. One day, maybe we'll solve the mystery. <laughs> maybe, but you know what? If you know where the dress is, hello, podcast royal at gmail.com. There you go. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and kick things off. Before we jump into our royal rundown, I've got a little bit of British for our listeners today, and this will be one for the Anglophiles that like to learn a little bit about British culture. And we're a little late to the game on talking about this, and I've been thinking about it for a while, and was like, we just need to bring it up on this episode, even though we didn't talk about it last time when it was actually in the news. So um, today we're going to talk about the great debate of scones and the proper way to dress them. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard about this in in England before, but um, the question is, does the clotted cream come first or the jam. So this is a long standing debate that can be tied back to the southern part of England where Cornwall and Devon are located. And I guess maybe it's where this tradition originated. But so your setup is you've got a scone, you've got clotted cream, and usually a fruit jam like a strawberry jam served with tea. So quick note on clotted cream, if you don't know, it's like a thick spreadable, almost sort of like a fluffy butter kind of cream that goes on scones. Um, So the question is, what is the right way to dress a a scone? And and I'm talking about this because the Prince and Princess of Wales were discussing this. I remember um, this. Kate got so much flack for this. I remember this now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was about a month or so ago. They were... um, They found themselves in the middle of this debate at an engagement for the NHS Big Tea Party. Um, And so the, okay, so let's go back and talk about the scone. So in Cornwall, they say the jam comes first, then the cream goes on top. And in Devon, they say the cream goes first, and then the jam goes on top. So if you're curious about what the royals do, the Princess of Wales said she prefers the Cornwall way, where the jam comes first, then the cream. And I thought this was really funny. The Prince of Wales says he prefers just whichever is closest to him. So he was spoken like a true man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Spoken like a true man right there. Okay. 
Well, okay. So neither Rachel nor I have been to Cornwall or Devon, so we don't really have ties to either place. But for the sake of a fun debate, I have to ask you, Rachel, what do you think is the best way to dress a scone? I am so like uneducated on this topic that I don't even have an opinion. I, they, they all sound good to me. I like, I have had scones when I was in London. We went, when I was there, my friend and I went to like a high tea and they had all of, all of the things. I just don't, I have no idea. Like I have, I, they, I don't like, well, I'm, I guess I'm like William, whatever's closest to me. I, I know you must have an opinion, but I just am so uneducated on, it's like the one food that I just don't have an opinion on, but I'll leave this one to you. Well, okay. So, you know, I'm thinking if you're looking at clotted cream, more like a cream, like a whipped topping, I could understand the Cornwall way of putting the dollop of the cream on top. But I think for me personally, I've got to side with the Devon way because, you know, as an American, I'm thinking if I've got toast or like an an American biscuit, I'm always going to butter it first, right? I want like an even spread of butter all the way across the bread. And then I put the jam or the jelly on Mm -hmm. top. So I think the Cornwall, I mean, the uh, Devon way sounds right to me. I'll take your word for it. I'll just take it however (laughs) it's prepared. Um, Okay. So before we wrap this up, I do want to share a little fun fact about clotted cream for our non-British listeners who maybe you have never had it before. Um, I read an article on, I think it was the Spruce Eats, and they sort of explain how it's made. So in order to make clotted cream, you cook unpasteurized cow's milk on low heat for a really long time until the cream begins to clot and it comes to the top and it's it creates what they call a clotted cream. And I thought this was a fun fact. So legally, it can only be labeled as Cornish clotted cream if it's made from milk from cows located in Cornwall and it has to be at least 55% fat. So um, the cream actually gets its yellow color from all of the grass that the cows eat. Hmm. That's interesting. I like that segment. It's called bit of British, right? Yeah. So, you know, we'll see as we, as we find some more stuff, maybe our Anglophiles would like to learn about or, or really British things that our Royals often do. We'll share it here on the podcast. You just sounded very Southern, as you said, Anglophiles. So, you know, that's, oh, no. we, we, we contain <laughs> multitudes on this podcast. We are Southern, but we also are Anglophiles, Jessica, even more so than me, because Jessica is half British, because uh, I wish I could say the same, but I cannot. So let's jump into the Royal Rundown. So as we know, after Harry and Meghan jumped or jumped back, stepped back, <laughs> they didn't just step back, y'all, they jumped back. I'm still thinking about jumping into the Royal Rundown, but as after they stepped back as working members of the Royal family back in 2020, they retained their HRH stylings, but they just opt not to use them. That's their personal choice. It took three and a half years, but the big news very soon after we recorded last week was that the Royal family's website had changed Harry's page. And now there are no references to his HRH title anymore. Actually, the Daily Express caught, which by the way, we're in the Daily Express way too much. Hi, Daily Express. I know you're listening. Um, Caught that the royal family's website actually needed a lot of updates, especially with title changes and stuff like that after the death of her late majesty. And I should clarify that just because Harry and Meghan, for that matter, are no longer styled as HRH on the website. That does not mean that they have been stripped of their titles. They just don't use them. So any thoughts on this? 
So it's been a while since this story came out. I think it came out right before we started recording last time. So um, I haven't thought about it in a few days, but I think it's important to call out what you mentioned about the website needing updates across the board. You know, there were a lot of headlines in the news that sort of spun the story to sound like the palace made some sort of big decision regarding Harry's HRH title. And I think what really happened was the Daily Express story caused enough noise broadcasting what they found that it came to the palace's attention that maybe it's time to start updating content that's been overlooked these past few years. And it has been noted, uh, noted that uh, some parts of the website still referred to King Charles as the Prince of Wales and Queen Camilla as the Duchess of Cornwall. And I think overall, there's just a lack of clarity among the public, specifically outside of the UK, is what I'm speaking to, on what the HRH titles really mean. So we've talked about that in the podcast before, as far as how they're handed out and who has the right to an HRH title. But to not go back and, and discuss all of that again, just to keep it really, really simple. Most children in the line of succession are given that title if their parents wish. And like I said, that's the very basic of it without going into the nitty gritty details. So essentially, if you're born a prince or princess, you could have the honor of being referred to as his royal highness or her royal highness, and your spouse would also be allowed that. So my perspective of all of this as an American is that I don't really think any of this would have been under the microscope if Harry and Meghan had not appeared to use their HRH titles for commercial reasons and then turned around and, you know, attacked the monarchy and the family when they were doing interviews and other content. And I think that's really what puts so much attention on the titles and how and when they're used. You know, we see members of the family like Princess Beatrice and Princess Eugenie who have the HRH titles and they are not working royals. But the difference is they're not using their titles to make money and they're not talking about personal details of the royal family or attacking the monarchy. So, you know, I think because all of this has come to light and a public statement was made that they would not use their HRH titles, you know, when they left the royal family, I think it makes sense that they wouldn't be addressed that way on the website now. Um, otherwise, I think it would appear like the titles maybe don't really carry that much weight and it sort of lends itself to the confusion around, you know, what does it even mean to be an HRH? Why are we referring to it in written form, but they can't use it in certain situations? That's just not very clear. So I think it was time for the website to be cleaned up. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's been almost a year. Like it's been over 11 months and another on Harry's page one other error was that he was still listed as the youngest son of the Prince of Wales which of course that is five-year-old Prince Louis so I mean mm. and like I was saying before like I I don't like it's not like Harry is an obscure royal like this family isn't big enough to not take a look at like the what 20 max family members pages. I don't know, but anyway, right. at least it's cleaned up now. So speaking of the fact that it has been over 11 months and we're quickly approaching unbelievably September 8th and the one year anniversary of the late queen's passing the prince and princess of Wales, of course, William and Catherine, not Charles and Camilla. 
<laughs> or not Charles and Diana, rather, um, have been tapped to lead public tributes to Her Late Majesty. Currently, it is unconfirmed what this means exactly, but we do know that the king and queen will mark the occasion privately at Balmoral, which of course is where Queen Elizabeth died last year at age 96. So this actually follows precedence for how the late queen marked February 6th, which was her own accession day. She observed the day privately at Sandringham where her father, King George VI died. And now the king is continuing that same tradition for September 8th at Balmoral. It's just weird because you know our whole lives up until this year, February 6th, carried so much meaning. And she was always at Sandringham. That's where she closed out the holiday season. And now February 6th is kind of irrelevant, I guess. And now it's September 8th. And so for so again, for so many years, I reported on February 6th at Sandringham and it's just time, times change. And now it's September 8th at Balmoral. It, it truly shows the passage of time and that we are in a new era. So I've heard that there might be a video. I've heard that there might be some social media posts. I, I There could even be an in-person engagement. Do you have any predictions as to how William and Catherine will honor her late majesty? I really don't. I've been thinking about this because it has been, you know, chattered about in the news. I mean, I think we can clearly expect something on social media. I mean, that's where everybody sort of gets their news these days. So I definitely think we'll see that if it's accompanying something else, I'm not sure. Um, I think it might be really fun to think about her um, her legacy and what she's remembered for and, and find a way to do some sort of an engagement honoring her that way. I think that could be mm -hmm. really special, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know what that would be. Um, I mean, there's so many different things that we, we can remember her for, and uh, I'm not sure what we'll see. I don't, I don't know, um, but I know, I, I know we'll see something. I mean, it's, it's, and it's going to be special. I, I've heard someone say this week, maybe they'll show some unseen photos of the queen throughout her life. I'm not sure what they will do, but I know that it will be poignant. I can predict that. Well, going back to titles, I know we just talked about the HRH titles, but King Charles has been busy honoring our working royals with some new military titles. He actually gave out quite a few, uh, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to run through all of the different titles. You know, they were military titles, like I said, um, but I will share who received some of the new titles. And that was Queen Camilla, Prince William, Catherine, the Princess of Wales, Prince Edward, Sophie, the Duchess of Edinburgh, Princess Anne, the Princess Royal, Prince Richard, and Princess Brigitte. Am I saying that right, Brigitte? I think so. The Duchess, Br the Duchess of Gloucester. Sure. I just know um, the Duchess, the Duchess of, Gloucester. of Gloucester. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I do also want to mention a really fun fact about the Princess of Wales. So one of the titles she received is Royal Honorary Commodore of Royal Air Force Coningsby. And her grandfather, Captain Peter Middleton, served in the Royal Air Force. And word is he actually co-piloted co an aerial tour of South Africa with Prince Philip in 1962. So there's that. a tie there back to the royal family. And also she now has a title with the Royal Air Force um, where her grandfather served. So yeah, that was a really fun fact. I, I like that a lot. I love that. I mean, you know, when you think about, I mean, obviously William and Catherine were not born in 1962, nowhere near it really. Um, they would come around 20 years later, but so many times they like, 
they both did their gap year in Chile, for example. And just so many times, like they almost could, like, it's just, again, when you hear things like that, like that Catherine's grandfather and William's grandfather flew it co-piloted a plane together like that's not just like they were even on the same flight they co-piloted a plane together like that I just you you begin to realize that things are meant to be and that I don't know our lives are so much bigger than us or maybe I'm just overthinking everything like I always do but that's a cool that's a great anecdote and um congratulations to all of the um, appointment recipients. That's, that's a huge deal. And, um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, each of them had at least, I think Catherine had three or three or four, William had the same and they're long titles too. So mm-hmm. we'll spare you reading all of them, but congratulations to everyone. So I have, speaking of the second dress of Diana's that we don't know where it is, the second wedding dress, I have another random princess Diana story for you this week. So those of you who were following the Royals back in 1997, no doubt remember that famous yacht that Diana and Dodie Alfayed vacationed on in the south of France that summer. This would ultimately, of course, be their final summer, though, of course, none of us knew that at the time. So this super yacht named Cujo will likely be featured pretty prominently in the upcoming season six of The Crown, which, if you'll remember, leaves off right at the beginning of the summer of 1997 with Diana and Dodie. It's where Diana and Dodie reportedly fell in love. It's where all those paparazzi photos are taken of her on the boat. I mean, you know these photos. And even if you weren't paying attention to the royal family in 1997, you've seen them. Well, if you'll believe it, the Cujo sank to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea on July 29th with seven passengers aboard, all of whom are okay, thankfully. So per the Independent, an officer said the ship was sinking due to a leak after it hit an unidentified object in the French Riviera. How wild is that? I mean, just to see that boat, I mean, because boats just don't like they might be decommissioned but they don't they just don't sink very often and it's just it I've seen the I've seen the pictures and it's just jarring it's so now it's at the bottom of the sea it's wild especially having you know been around for this long it's it's surprising that that would that would happen now um Mm -hmm. and being the the yacht that it is but that is such a crazy story and I was going to ask you Rachel do you know if they're using that actual ship that sank in I don't think so (laughs) okay I I wasn't sure if they had already done the filming and I didn't know if they had like a replica or if they've already pre-filmed this and we'll actually see that one in the in the crown I don't know but I so I know what I do know I actually know more than I um maybe like would imagine about this this super yacht now so after Dodie died it was decommissioned until 1999 it was in it was in some kind of disrepair so it got tons of upgrades and it, then it is back on water and um I don't think I seriously doubt that that's what was used in the filming but uh probably a replica but I mean it's just weird to think that like there are I don't know maybe this is an asinine comment but there, it's just weird to think that there's super yachts at the bottom of the sea or the ocean yeah. I don't know that's just weird to me but um yeah just wild story Well, we've got a few kind of weird and crazy stories this week. I want to talk about another story that you actually shared with me the other day. So listeners, you guys will remember how much we've talked the past, what, year and a half, two years um, about the royal family wearing the color blue for so many engagements and photo opportunities. And I think we said it felt for a while like it was becoming their signature color, Mm -hmm. but What we didn't know was that there was an interesting correlation between the color blue and royal weddings. So 
Okay, the article you sent me, Rachel, said that whenever the late Queen Elizabeth wore blue to a royal wedding, the marriage ultimately ended in divorce. That's so, so crazy. Yeah, and and you know, I I went back and I've I've been looking at some photos and checking all of this out. So, going back to her sister, Princess Margaret, Queen Elizabeth wore blue to her wedding in 1960, and she and her husband, the Earl of Snowden, divorced in 1978. Then the late queen wore blue to her daughter, Princess Anne's wedding in 1973, and Princess Anne and her husband, Mark Phillips, divorced in, I think it was 1992. Yeah, so you're right. She also wore blue to the then Prince Charles and Princess Diana's wedding in 1981, which we all know ended in divorce in 1996. And if that's not enough, she wore blue again to Prince Andrew and Fergie's wedding in 1986. And they divorced in 1996 also, I believe. So, okay, I am not superstitious. So, of course, I don't actually believe that the color blue has any sort of (laughs) bad luck for marrying royals. But it it is definitely an odd coincidence. I mean, it's funny how they've kind of called all of this out. And listeners, if you need a reminder on maybe what she wore to some other royal weddings. So, she wore purple to Prince Edward and Sophie's wedding in 1999. By then she everybody was divorced and maybe she, I'm, she probably had no idea. She probably caught on to it and was like, okay, no way I'm wearing, <laughs> I'm wearing purple or I'm wearing blue to their wedding. Well, she wore yellow to Prince William and Catherine's wedding in 2011. She wore green to Prince Harry and Meghan's wedding in 2018, and she wore a pinky peach toned outfit to Zara and Mike Tindall's wedding in 2011. And of course, all of those couples are still married today. But Rachel, when we were on the phone the other day, we were chatting about this, and we did actually recall that she wore a light blue toned outfit to Princess Beatrice and Edo's wedding. Although I will say, depending on your eyesight and the lighting, you could maybe classify that as a bluish green outfit, Mm -hmm. but she also wore a very pale powdery blue coat and hat to Princess Eugenie's wedding. So I'm going to say that my theory is this color is, you know, the theory that it's not bad luck. I think we can confirm that. We both know Princess Beatrice and Princess Eugenie seem to be very in love and in really happy marriages with their husbands. So hopefully all of those coincidences stopped with the previous generation. Um, But what do you think about all of that, Rachel? I just want to know who just randomly discovered this. Like who was just like, I think I'm just going to, maybe somebody was just looking at pictures on the balcony from all of these weddings. And then they were like, Oh, she's in blue. Oh, she's in blue again. Oh, they got divorced. But um, I also want to point out something that I just kind of remembered all of the couples that got a divorce. So um, princess Margaret and the Earl of Snowden, and then Andrew and Fergie, Charles and Diana, Anne and her first husband, Mark Phillips, all of them had two children too. Dun, dun, dun. Of course, Edward and Sophie also have two children. Harry and Meghan also have two children. Beatrice, counting her stepson, and Edo have two children. Eugenie has two children. Why does everybody have two children? Of course, William and Kate don't. They have three. And same with Zara and Mike. But all the divorced couples had two children and she wore blue to the wedding. And it's a weird coincidence, but there you go. That is, I had not put that together either. See, that's how all this starts. Somebody looks at one little thing. <laughs> and then and then we blow it up out of proportion on podcast world. But I think that's so interesting. I mean, obviously that had nothing to do with anything, uh, but it's just very interesting to think about. 
Well, and I will point out too that Peter Phillips divorced not too long ago, and she actually did wear a silver toned dress to his wedding. So she was not wearing blue for that. Um, but when I was looking at photos of his wedding at Rachel, I had a really nice laugh. So <laughs> oh, I no. remember when we were chatting last week about the York sisters choices in hats at these big events. And, you know, we, we talked about how princess Beatrice actually sold her hat from William and Catherine's wedding for charity and, and made the money. Well, I don't know if you remember Beatrice's hat at Peter Phillips wedding, but it was a flock of colorful butterflies on her head. And I'm looking and, at a photo of it now. <laughs> yeah. And I did not remember that. And I saw it when I was going through the photos. And I mean, this is not like one or two little butterflies. It's like, oh, this is a lot. <laughs> this is a lot. All I have to say is Beatrice, you've come a long way, baby. We loved you then, but you would not wear this today. I also made fashion choices in 2008 that I would not replicate today. So here's to growth. Cheers to all of us. You know, I think it's, it just shows kind of maybe how she likes to play with fashion and have fun with it. Um, and it, you know, it is, it is fun to look back and laugh at some of these funny hats, but very creative. And I will say the color tone works very well with her hair and skin. You're so, you're very kind, Jessica. Listeners, you need to look at this photo. It's a very serious hat. We'll just say that there is a, I, I, I would not be so brave to wear it, but um, yeah, I mean, but you, it, actually, it actually does work with her hair. You you're know, not, you're not wrong. Of the royals, those butterflies are monarchs. Well, I bet that wasn't even a coincidence. Look at you. <laughs> Look at you noticing that. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. All right. Well, there was the Royal Rundown for you listeners. We're going to move into segment three, which is listener Q&A. So questions have been swirling about what Queen Camilla will be called if King Charles should happen to pass away first. So after all, we know, obviously, she won't be the king mother because she is Prince William's stepmother. So the answer to that question is she will be called the Queen Dowager. And actually, you talked, you and I talked on the phone last night mm-hmm. and Queen Dowager and Dowager Queen are actually interchangeable. So if Queen Dowager sounds wrong to you, 
then just call our dowager queen. I mean, hopefully this doesn't help. I don't know. Somebody's going to die at some point, but it's kind of morbid to be talking about this, but it is an interesting question. And so this is a title that was first used by Queen Adelaide, who survived her husband, King William IV. He died in 1837, and she went on to live for another 12 years. All of their children died in infancy, and so the crown then passed to William's niece, one Queen Victoria, thus beginning the bloodline that led us to the present day royal family. So there is uh, your factoid and near listener Q&A of the week. And I want to throw this in here. Side note, per a former listener Q&A, somebody asked a few weeks ago or a month ago about Rose Hanbury, and we'd never talked about her on the show. Um, well, news came out that I think this story is super interesting. News came out today that Kate was hanging at Rose Hanbury's house, which is an estate, which is a 1,000 acre estate. So it's not just like it's a little house down the block. Um Kate, I guess, was in Norfolk for summer break at Anmer Hall, and she was at a dinner party at Rose's and was apparently cajoled to go to a 24-hour music festival on the estate's grounds. Wow. Um, I know. I mean, I don't think she was there for the full 24 hours, but she did. <laughs> she went. She did go, and she was apparently nervous but went with her protection officers. I just think that's fascinating and kind of full circle to the Rose Hanbury conversation, I guess, all as well between them and their friendship is, yeah. is great. So, um, that like, and, and the thing about that property is there's no cell service. So that's probably actually a perfect scenario for Kate to be able to enjoy something relatively normal, but no one has any cell service. So they can't FaceTime. They can't take, mm-hmm. photos, they can barely take photos of you. So, um, that's why I think we haven't seen any photos of this. Cause if I saw the princess of Wales at this at this 24-hour music festival I was at I would be like oh well okay what but um I'm glad she got to get out and have a good time William was not with her by the way it was just her so I kind of love that for her okay like um you know we haven't seen much events since they've been on um their holiday but it sounds like she had maybe a fun girls weekend so yeah yeah. and I think you know again it kind of goes back to what we said before when all of the stories were in the news um they probably just were quiet for a little while and, you know, just to get out of the headlines, didn't want to be, you know, hanging out together to be back in the news. But now that everything's kind of died down, you know, I think this does really just reinforce what, what our thoughts were about it all along. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no way that she would be going to a dinner party at her house or going to a music festival with her if if that happened. Plus that was four years ago. Right. Hopefully we can just bury that story or maybe we can Hanbury that's where I did not mean to do that that was totally off the top of my head that's that's not bad not bad um anyways so we don't have any royals around the world this week um I guess I think like you said everybody's probably on we barely had any um like I mean we're going back to 1997 back to like I mean we barely had any royal like hard-hitting royals news this week because everybody's still on holiday but no royals around the world this week so let's get into the Royal deep dive for this week. So I'm really happy that you listeners enjoyed our first installment of Royal deep dive last week for this segment this week, I'm actually going to do a brother and sister pair, Peter, the aforementioned Peter Phillips, who listeners, you know, I'm in love with and Zara Phillips Tyndall, who are the son and daughter of princess Anne, the princess Royal, which seems appropriate considering I didn't do this on purpose, but considering that today is the princess Royal's birthday. So Anne 
of course, is the second child and only daughter of the late Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. I am certain she will get her own royal deep dive eventually because she is actually incredibly fascinating. She's been kidnapped. She's been an Olympian. She's got some history. She's lived some life. So um, Anne and her first husband, Mark Phillips, who we actually just talked about, wed in 1973 and the queen wore blue. So that's obviously why they divorced um, in their marriage. <laughs> kidding. But their marriage produced two children, Peter and Zara. So again, listeners, you know, I've had a long held crush on Peter and I think Zara is stunningly beautiful. And let's learn a little bit more about them today. So let's start with the elder of the two, Peter Mark Andrew Phillips, born on November 15th, 1977. Peter is the late queen's eldest grandchild. And to reflect that, this is, I think this is wild. At the time of his birth, like, because most people don't even know Peter Phillips, right? I mean, I would say like only hardcore royal followers know that name, casual mm-hmm casual royal followers do not but at the time of his birth he was fifth in line to the throne so that would be what would that be harry because william oh wow yeah so that would be the equivalent of harry and so he was fifth in line to the throne he is now 18th so he's been pushed down and pushed down and pushed down but he was born at saint mary's hospital in london in the lindo wing this is where that tradition began and at the time of his birth There was a 41-gun salute from the Tower of London, and he was christened when he was around six weeks old on December 22nd, 1977. King Charles is actually not only his uncle, but his godfather as well. So as you mentioned before, when we were talking about titles, it's up to the parents to decide whether their children have HRH titles or not. Mark and Anne refused titles for their children, making, I find this so interesting. Peter was the first legitimate grandchild of a monarch in more than 500 years to be born without a title or a courtesy title. Isn't that interesting? That is super interesting. I did not realize that. Yeah. And so in addition to Zara, Peter also, I didn't, I did not know this before I did this research. Peter also has two younger half sisters, Felicity and Stephanie, who are the daughters of his father, Mark Phillips. Felicity was born in 1985. Listeners, uh, if you're paying attention, the two did not divorce until 1992. So uh, that was very much still during Mark and Anne's marriage. Um, That was an extramarital affair. Um, They, again, divorced in 1992. And Anne went on to marry her current husband, Timothy Lawrence, whom she is still married to today. And she did not have any more children after Peter and Zara. So like other men in the royal family, Philip and Charles, for example, Peter went to Gordonston in Scotland. And while he was there, he was chosen to be head boy, which I don't really know what that means, but it sounds pretty prestigious. So during his gap, <laughs> during his gap year, which I kind of actually randomly talked about gap years earlier, because um, William and Kate both went to Chile, not although not at the same time, they barely missed each other. But Peter went to Sydney, Australia, and he worked for Sports Entertainment Limited, which is interesting um, because he works for them today, although he had some stops in between. Um, he, he came back and worked for them later in life, and he did his gap year there. So that's kind of full circle. He also worked for Jackie Stewart's Formula One racing team around this time in his life. He went to the University of Exeter and graduated with a degree in sports science. And while he was there, he played rugby. So I'm sure he has a lot to talk about with Mike Tyndall, who we'll talk about in a second. So mm-hmm. Uh, Peter graduated from university in 2000. He worked for, okay, I always say this wrong. I'm like showing the fact that I don't have the money to have a Jag, is it Jaguar? Is that how you say it? 
Jaguar? No, it's not Jaguar, like the animal. It's like Jaguar. I don't know. He has that car that's really fancy that I can't even pronounce, let alone afford to drive. Anyway, he worked as a corporate hospitality manager for them and then for Williams Racing Team, not Williams as in Prince William, but Williams like totally separate thing. He served as a sponsorship account manager. So as you can see, he's not a working Royal. He's always had a career outside of the firm. He then worked as a manager at the Royal Bank of Scotland in Edinburgh for seven years. And then, as I just said, he returned to Sports Entertainment Limited, where he remains today. So um, again, as you can see, he's obviously not and never has been a working member of the Royal family. Same with Zara. In January 2020, if listeners remember, and this was kind of a controversy at the time, although I had honestly forgotten about it, but um, he appeared in an ad for Bright Food where he used his status as a British royal family member to promote the company's milk. So again, kind of like not great using your royal uh, status for, for commercial gain. And uh, that garnered him some negative press attention for using his royal status again for commercial gain. So Peter, it, he, because he's the oldest and he's significantly older because Zara wasn't born until 1981. So he was the first of the queen's grandchildren to marry. You just mentioned what Beatrice was wearing to his wedding in 2008. He wed Autumn Kelly, who is a Canadian management consultant in 2008 at St. George's Chapel, where Harry and Eugenie would later marry, although that makes it sound like they married each other. They married different people, um, Harry and Meghan and Eugenie and Jack at St. George's Chapel. Um, Autumn and Peter separated in 2019. They divorced in 2021. And lo and behold, I just, I didn't realize this until I was about to say it. They have two daughters two kids, Savannah and Isla and Isla, excuse me. Um, I think that's how you say it. So Savannah was the queen's first great grandchild. Peter is now much to my chagrin in a real, and I'm just kidding. I'm very happy for them in a relationship with the lovely Lindsay Wallace. They debuted as a couple at the Epsom Derby in June of last year and saw her at Royal Ascot this year. They look really happy. So Peter is significantly more under the radar than his younger sister, Zara, although you may remember Peter serving as kind of the buffer, like the body buffer between William and Harry at their grandfather Philip's funeral in April 2021. He was in all of the photos because everybody wanted to catch a photo of William and Harry, but Peter was like literally the body block between the two of them. Um, of course, that was when tensions between the brothers were quite high. That was the month after the Oprah interview. So Zara, for her part, is an equestrian. She is a former Olympian like her mother and one half of the Tyndalls, along with her very gregarious husband, Mike Tyndall, who we talk about sometimes on the show because he's hilariously funny. She, and he's very public. He's, he's, uh, he's very, he's very out front and probably shares more than the Royal family wants him to honestly at times, but he's done some reality TV and he's right. 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 So he's probably, again, like probably more outspoken than the Royal family. I don't know who knows what they, what they prefer, but Zara was born Zara and Elizabeth Phillips on May 15th, 1981. She was born as sixth in line to the throne. She is, she is now 21st. So that's like, look at what all the grandkids and great grandkids can do. So mm. she was also born at the Lindo wing. She was christened on July 27th, 1981 at Windsor. Her uncle, this is interesting. I did not know this. Her uncle, Zara is quite a non-traditional name. Her uncle, King Charles, actually suggested her name. And uh, her godparents include Prince Andrew, who is her uncle, and none other than one Andrew Parker Bowles, who, of course, if you've watched The Crown at one point, and dated. So remember that weird love square, like not a love triangle, yeah. but a love square between Charles and Camilla and Andrew? I just think that's very, like, 
I, I don't know what is in the water in the UK where everybody is so friendly with their exes. I really can't stand any of my exes. Like, I don't like Carrie invites his exes to his wedding. Um, you know, I mean, I wish well, my ex is nothing but the best, but I'm not like, you know, they're not the godparents of my non-existent children. You know what I mean? I'm, like, yeah. Like, I'm trying, I was sitting here trying to make sense of all of this. And so she asked, princess Anne asked her ex to be her daughter's godfather that's yes. so crazy <laughs> that's what I'm telling you I think like I don't know like maybe they're just nicer people than me but I like do not want my ex at my wedding and I don't want my ex to be the godfather of my child either so maybe there's some something I'm missing and I can't even pronounce jaguar so maybe I missed that day in life school but anyway um so Zara I'll, I didn't even okay I'm gonna be honest with you I did not realize that Gordonson was co-ed um, I thought it was all male, but Zara also attended Gordonston um, and she was always athletic. She played hockey and gymnastics and like her brother, she attended the University of Exeter and qualified as a physiotherapist. As I said before, she is an accomplished equestrian. She competed at the 2012 Olympic Games, which conveniently were in London. She is a dedicated philanthropist. And she even, I didn't know this either, even has her own jewelry collection, the Zara Phillips collection, which was released with designer John Calieja in 2015. It is, a get this, it is equestrian themed and is not cheap. Pieces range in price from $6,200 to upwards of $44,000. That's, that's luxury jewelry right there. So Zara married rugby player Mike Tindall about three months after William and Kate's big wedding on July 30th, 2011. And they have three children. So their marriage is secure. Don't worry, everybody. I'm just kidding. I, mean, I, hope, I hope I'm not just kidding. But their kids' names are Mia, Lena, and Lucas. And if you'll remember, Zara gave birth to Lucas on the floor of the family home, which I know we reported on on the show. So there is your royal deep dive of this week. That was, I just, I, I learned stuff. Like I didn't know half of that stuff about the two of them. And I, you know, thought I knew a lot. So I hope that you listeners are enjoying that. Yeah, that was great. We've talked about them in bits and pieces on the podcast before. And of course, we've never done a deep dive, but it's such a good way to learn a lot about somebody. I, you know, I remember when Peter Phillips and his wife or his ex-wife announced their separation and their divorce. And I remember thinking, I don't know a whole lot about them. Like you said, Peter Phillips is very private. Um, but I just remember being really sad for that, that mm -hmm. announcement, you know, and of course, anytime a couple is announcing a divorce, that's sad. But, um, I remember, I remember thinking that, um, also I love the name Zara. Um, that's mm -hmm. such a fun, pretty name. And we've both talked about this before. We love Zara and Mike Tyndall. They seem mm -hmm. like such a fun couple. Um, and I, I remember the story of her having, baby Lucas at home. Um, and I remember being really, really excited that they were welcoming a third child into their family. So mm -hmm. yeah, I loved, I loved the deep dive this week. Thanks for that, Rachel. You're welcome. And we'll do this again next week. And uh, listeners, if you have anybody in particular that you'd like to learn a little bit more about, just uh, shoot us uh, a message and Jessica will tell you how to do that. Yes. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode. So again, listeners, thank you so much for hanging out with us on another episode of Podcast Royal. Also, be sure to come follow us on Instagram at Podcast Royal. And like Rachel said, if you have questions or you have thoughts, you can either send us a DM over there 
or you can email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.